Welcome back to another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it over first to Spartan Grown. What's up, guys? What's up, Jack? Thank you again for having us. Another great show. I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word. Or if you don't have an Instagram, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. I'm an organic grower at home and at heart, and I'm also a synthetic grower at work, so I can answer questions on both sides. Always happy to have you back. I actually sent you the Zoom link on your email because I remembered it from all the introductions, so I didn't have to like ask you about it. I was like, oh, you know, I already know his email, and last week he had to log in typing it out manually, so this week I'll send it to him just in case, and you were here nice and early this week. Hopefully you didn't have any trouble. But, I appreciate uh, it. Good stuff. I'm going to pass it next over to uh, Kyle Breeder. Yeah, my name is Kyle Breeder. Uh, I specialize in feminized breeding. And I just uh, real quick, shout out thanks to anybody that came by and saw me this weekend. I mean, a lot to me. And if whoever's listening right now that showed up, I still, uh, we all thank you for being uh, listeners. And yeah, I have a website, pbreeding.com. If you want some seeds, I have some feminized seeds and a few autoflower seeds. A new autoflower drops coming soon. Uh, collaboration between me and uh, Gnome Automatics, aka Full Duplex. And glad to be here. Happy to have you back. And we'll definitely get more into a little bit of the Harvest Cup stuff a little bit later. But next up, we've got Dr. MJ. Hey, everyone. Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am excited to be back for the show and looking forward to sticking around and talking to everybody today. Happy to have you back. And next up, Aaron, the grower. What's up, panel? <clears throat> Jack, everybody. Uh, good to be back. Sorry, I've been gone for a couple of weeks, but, you know, life, uh, life grabs you and takes you sometimes. But I am here this week and I'm really grateful to be here and happy to see y'all. I'm Aaron, the grower, atgacres.com, atgacres on Instagram. We're happy to have you back. I even missed a week here semi-recently, so it's, uh, it is what it is. Life happens, and we're all just happy that you can make it when you can, so happy to have you back. And next up, Noah, the grower. Hey, everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm Noah, the grower from Instagram. You can find me there, and uh, most weeks here, and uh, happy to be here. How's everyone doing? Doing great. Happy that you're... Uh, Time change is going to allow us to see your garden a little bit later in the show. So people should stay around and tune in for that a little bit later. Cause Noah's Oh yeah, I'm excited. And uh, I'll pass it next to Brandon Rust. Hey, what's going on everybody? Uh, Brandon Rust. Uh, you guys already know me. If you guys aren't familiar and you're listening, you can find my work at Instagram at rust.brandon. You can check out www.bokashiearthworks.com. Um, and yeah, it's always a good, good day when you get to hang out with the panel members and nerd out on weed stuff. I love it. It's like a Brady bunch of weed with the uh, nine people. I don't know. I can see us all in the zoom, but it doesn't show up like that on the YouTube, but it is definitely a great time hanging out with all of you, including, uh, Matthew Gates. Yeah. Hey everyone. <laughs> Where can the people find you? <laughs> Uh, well, you can find me on the aquaponics, uh, uh, Potent Ponics' aquaponics conference. Uh, I just got finished a little while ago um, presenting about that. You can also find me on my YouTube channel, Zentanol, and on my Instagram, at Angel. Great stuff over there. Uh, big fan of Potent Ponics and uh, the YouTube channel and all the conference stuff that's been put out there. Uh, really appreciate all the free information and uh, your information as well. And last and certainly not least, the American one. 
Hey Jack, everyone, good to be here. Everyone in chat, I'm glad you guys are hanging out again. I'm the American one uh, on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on the IG. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. And yeah, Matthew, I caught your presentation yesterday and that was just very uh, intensive and extensive and went through everything. It was amazing. But uh, hopefully the recording can be saved somehow. But And then you redid it again today, kind of, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I agree. I, feel, I actually feel like I performed better on the first one than the second. I'll a little bit more time. So hopefully they can get it. But if not, they have that other one, too. Yeah, because I asked a couple questions in chat. And before they could even uh, present them to you, you covered it thoroughly in your um, you know original presentation. So really, really great. I'm really happy to hear that the good information is definitely getting out there to the people and uh, it just goes to show, you know, uh, he, he's definitely very well researched and sometimes it's like uh, when you raise your hand, you know, about to ask the teacher a question and then they cover what you're about to ask. So it's uh, you just got to let them get to that part of the lesson and uh, Matthew is putting facts to the people out there, spreading the good IPM knowledge and uh, I'm really happy to see that you're connecting in other communities uh, on top of just this one. So it's really good information so i'm happy that people are listening up and people like tower asking good questions but uh even if they didn't require being answered but with that said i want to pass it to kyle breeder because i know many weeks you're quiet but uh we have a good uh topic that we want to talk about a little bit this week you went to the harvest cup and maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that how that went yeah it was uh <clears throat> it was actually really cool man um you know i had my own booth there which went really well and uh some of the cool things that happened um uh, other than me being truly uh, honored and excited to meet anybody that has ever watched our show or has followed me there, that really, really meant a lot to me. Um, I gave it a lot of free stuff to some people. And uh, but uh, Mike Tyson showed up. Yeah. So uh, I saw him and uh, he was walking by and I was like, I was basically like, oh, man, I got to, you know, I know he's got farms. I was like, I got to give him some genetics. So I made a, pa a care package and I walked up to him and he was like, I was like, Mike, I was like, how's it going? I was like, here's a, you know, I'd like you to have this. She's like, and he kind of looked at me, he turned around, he's like, what's that? Uh, he had to kind of see his face, but he was like, I was like, oh, it's my work. It's my, it's my company, my genetics. And so he, he looked at me again, he took it and he put it in his duffel bag. I was like, hey, I made it in. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, what you call us, it's so weird to see celebrities in real life, man. Like, especially like in arm's reach, you know, especially Tyson, like Tyson's the shit, man. You know, I was just going to say, this is not just a celebrity. We're talking here, man. That is yeah, such Tyson. Mike Tyson was, when we were yeah. kids, man, that, I mean, Iron Mike, I mean, the, the video game punch out. I mean, Mike Tyson's awesome, dude. Yeah. And he's come out so pro cannabis too. That it's just me. He gets oh, better. Yeah. Just, dude, oh, his man, weed's actually better. good. It's one of the only ones in the legal market I could actually get behind. If you get the toad from Tyson Farms, that shit is strong as fuck. It's like a Gorilla Glue uh, Chem Cross or something like that. But it is uh, it's some good shit. I've definitely had some of the Tyson Ranch. He spent some inordinate. You can Google how much does Mike Tyson spend per month on weed or something like that. Oh, yeah, much articles stupid. people were. He was giving him and all of his homies so they could sample to see what's good and what's not to try and put out better shit. So I think he's a real passionate advocate and uh, it's really like um, Noah and, and, you know, everybody else has kind of said he's a huge, like he's a legend. Uh, he's still got it too. I mean, in some of his uh, fights recently, like in some of the footage, I would be scared to be on the other end oh, of a yeah. punch from him. So it's cool yeah, that you he got your seats he, in his back. Yeah. He didn't look, he, he didn't look that weathered at all in person, man. He still, he still looks pretty, pretty primed up if you want to do something about something, you know what I mean? Well, <laughs> he's got a fight coming up. 
He's got a fight coming up, I believe, against uh, Logan Logan Paul. And uh, oh I'm like, God, huge they went through with that. Oh if yeah, that happens, Logan Paul So I'm uber jealous, man. That is awesome. That's so crazy. Uh, but yeah, so other than that, that was a really big highlight <laughs> to see him in person. And he grabbed my genetics. I mean, there's a small percent chance that maybe he pops and brings it to his farm, but whatever. At least it's a seed planted. But uh, so I started John from Green Bodie, which meant a lot to me. And man, that guy is more humble in person than he is online. And uh, he's a really good person. Um, you know, I gave him a bunch of the stuff that we basically did a collaboration on. And uh, other than that, I met uh, Mr. Soul and his partner uh, today, actually. His, only his partner was there yesterday. And I had went up to him. And I, I don't know if you guys remember, I have that letter written by him back in like the 1990s. And I was like, hey, I was like, do you remember this? And he was like reading it. He's like, yeah, yeah. I do. He's like, I do remember reading. He's like, I actually, yeah, I remember writing that. I was at 19, and he said the year 90 something. He's like, I was like, well, I have those genetics, man. They're still in that cigarette pack that you put in that box. And he was like, are you serious? And we were started talking. He's like, well, he's like, it would mean a lot to me if you could, if you could get those. If they, he's like, if they pop, it'd mean a lot to me if you could share those back with me. And I was like, of course, man. I was oh, like, I'll man. pull it out. Yeah, I was like, I'll tell you that. He's like, I don't have those anymore. I was like, well, so that's my new mission now. And uh, I guess he's willing to do, I was talking about doing like working together on a project. So uh, Mr. Soul and his, um, his I forget, his, I feel so horrible. I forget the guy's name, but his, his other, his second partner. Uh, we're going to be kind of all working partner. together. Um, but yeah, just wicked cool, man. Yeah, I got a picture. I'm going to post it tomorrow morning of me and Mr. Soul. And uh, we've talked for like, oh, you know, maybe half an hour and just, just really cool, man. Just to be like with, in my world, in my world, I guess like the, like somewhat of the elites, you know, of what I do and just to be in that presence and they all like got, we all got along and it went really well. It just really, it really meant a lot to me. So the whole experience was just really nice overall. He brought some fire shit. The Cinderella 99 is uh, still some of the strongest stuff I've gotten to smoke as far as sativas go. And it's like yeah. a fast flowering and, and shorter structure than most traditional like sativas as far as uh, that hybrid or whatever spectrum would go. And he's, he had a unfortunate like you know he was like attacked randomly or i don't know people might argue but he almost he like was on the you know brink of death and uh thankfully ended up surviving so i'm glad that he's still with us because we've lost many great breeders and uh, a lot of them are aging and they're not going to be around forever so it's cool to get to meet them in person make those connections and potentially share genetics back to them that they've lost and uh give them options because like he bred a lot of the stuff that like i said cinderella 99 and others that uh, we're used in some of Subcool's work, which is also some of my favorite stuff. So uh, it's awesome that you got to connect with them. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It was a, it was, it was an awesome event, and uh, we'll see what's what's to come from all that. Did you see any of the uh, cheap home grow audience that uh, of name that you could uh, think of, or just people generally saying like, "Oh, I you know have listened to you for." Yeah, there was like man, there was at least nine people total that were like that drove from like one from Pennsylvania, one from New York, one from Maryland, one from uh, Maine, uh, from Vermont. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, well, how, they're like, I, they're like, oh, I follow you. I'm like, yeah, how'd you find me? They're like, oh, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I'm like, well, how long's a while? They're like, since the beginning. I was like, wow, that's a long time. <laughs> that's yeah. fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and some yeah, uh, yeah, it was just really awesome. So a lot of those people that drove that far, I gave them like free shirts and free hats, and uh, you know, I tried to hook them up the best I can. Um, so that's awesome, it was, man. It's uh, yeah, great to see the community. They have been. There's a ton of committed followers of the Cheap Home Grow. A lot of people I've seen that you could just look at the names in the chat. I bet you if you went back and listened to like episode ten, you'll see a lot of the same names that are in the chat right now. So it's uh, amazing the community that we've built and when they're able to, I mean, it's not even like they were like, Oh, you're right down the road or like an hour away. It's like, they would 
committed you know they really went for it and uh drove all the way down there and it's awesome to see that they uh had a probably great time i'm sure as you did it sounds like the uh harvest cup went really well uh, by all accounts and uh, i saw even sour diesel tangy i think entered uh some of yeah. Brandon's stuff. Yeah, he came. Yeah, he came up to me and said he was uh he was involved, and uh, we we're all hoping that it won. You know, especially for Brandon's sake too. And uh, uh, you're gonna have to reach out to him because I don't remember. I was again, I was trying to figure out how to talk to six people at once without someone leaving the booth. Because uh, I obviously wanted all, to give them all their own attention and make them feel important and stuff, but uh, or give them the attention they deserve. Um, but I'm not too sure. Um, but one thing I found really interesting, I forgot to mention this is there was three or four people that came up to me and they were like, yeah, oh, I run your gear. I'm like, oh, like, like what? And they're like, and they would show me their phone, man. <clears throat> and they had every cross that I've ever released ever. Like, yeah, I have the whole thing. I was like, damn, dude, I don't even have some of that stuff anymore. You know, he's like, yeah. And uh, all positive feedback too, man. So it was just, it was, yeah, it was great. But you, actually, we- you should reach out to Brandon. Did you reach out to Sour Diesel and about if you, if you placed, you know? No, I don't know. I could, I could, uh, I guess I could DM him. Yeah. I bet you he'll be in chat later this evening if he's not already. I, I don't see him right now at the very moment. But I wanted to also say a shout out to Hota Herb. I heard you uh, got to meet Hota and he actually grew out some of your stuff and gave you a little sample, right? Yeah, he came by. He showed me some of the poison rock candy. Uh, it was uh, one was more of a bushier, not bushier. One was uh, a heavier yielding pheno. One was like more of a, he called it the praying pheno, which it definitely prayed the whole flower. Uh, they were both iced out, but one was like a, a extremely like a keeper cut. And I was like, Hey man, I know this sounds weird. And you're like growing the seed, but like, can you take a cut? Cause I want that. I want to cut <laughs> so I can back cross it to my mother. Uh, so he showed up and you know, what's weird when he first showed up, he was like, he, I don't know if it was like his, he, you know, he was wearing these crazy hats. He had like some new hat on and, and he was like, he was just standing there staring at me. And I thought I was like, like a, like a weirdo, not a weirdo, but I didn't know who it was at first. And he was like, and he kind of pulled down his mask or something. He was, I was like, oh, what's up, man? He's like, hey. And he had like all these gifts. He's like, yeah, here's your, I was like, oh, I forgot you were coming, man. I forgot about the whole thing. I just been so flustered with the event. And uh, yeah, he gave me two clones of uh, that raw candy, uh, that uh, true New England rock candy, not poison rock candy. I don't know why I mentioned that. It's true. He had the true New England rock candy. Um, and yeah, he gave me uh, some samples of that and he dropped me off some clones and he, Dropped off some slaps, as we all call them, some stickers, and I had them on my table so that people could see them. And uh, yeah, he's a really good dude, man. Really, really, just a calm, collective, uh, really relaxed, relaxed guy, man. He's a, he's a really good person. I get a Zen vibe from Hoda. Or oh, wicked sure. Zen. Yeah, like Buddha. You know. Yeah. He's like super at peace. Uh, I get that from Spartan Grown and many others on this panel as well. But uh, Brandon, I'm curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. I think it was Blueberry Train Mac uh, was the cross that he entered. Yeah, it's a good one. I like it. I'm growing it too. <clears throat> what kind of profile does that have uh, when you grow it? Um, so there's depends on which way it leans, but if it leans more on the blueberry train wreck um, side, because the the genetics are this: it's a uh, blueberry train wreck, which is NorCal train wreck times F4 blueberry. We had a specific cut that we were running of that, and then um, that was crossed into MK Ultra. Um, so most of the time, you get um, this really, really sweet floral blueberry with a really distinct pine um, scent in there too. So it's it's a very sweet blueberry pine. 
and it's kind of like not like cotton candy but it's very has like kind of like uh like an artificial almost yeah like i don't it's not like the grape like you know like what you what we would like methylanthrenolate right that's not what it is it's not it doesn't seem like that to me but it could be i mean it's just not as pungent as some of the ones that i know for for certain have that um that chemical in it you know i was going to ask if the pine was similar to the train wreck does that like the pineiness come yeah. is a similar th- that same pine that you get in the train wreck yeah where it's kind of like it's kind of pine but it's got that musky um like that musky earthy undertone to it you know yeah definitely and uh i get it some sharpness i think there's like terpidoline in uh train wreck it's like a little bit like that uh floral but that comes from the uh, blueberry side as well so it sounds like a really interesting cross i think i actually might even have some of these seeds i might have to start popping some of them because uh you sent me this this stuff is really good i like it a lot i'm gonna keep growing it i found a really really nice male so i'll do uh an f2 generation eventually with it but anything i've had uh the cross to the mk ultra has been pretty potent so um it lives up There's... to the name i guess a little bit there's outliers in it that I haven't seen pop up, but lean a little more toward the MK. And it's got this like rotten oniony um, body odor. So instead of you, instead of you get this like sweet blueberry with like this rotten onion odor to it, uh, uh, not unsimilar to. Uh, my onion burger cut, which is the purple Kush times MK Ultra. That one, if you were to go and smell GMO and smell the onion burger, the onion burger just knocks knocks it out. Like it's night and day difference as far as the the pungency of it. Just more like actually onion on the onion burger that cross that you have. Yeah, and it's just very very sharp. It's very pungent, like. If you were, if you walk into the, or even come close to the plant, you can smell it before you get up to it. Have you, uh, smelled like chem, uh, chem D? Not pure chem D, but I have, uh, I've grown crosses with, uh, chem in it. Yeah. Some of those chems can get like really foul. I think it's chem D that has some of those nasty, funky, um, almost like dead body. There's like dumpster is another cut um, that was big in, I think, Ohio originally. And it smells literally like a dumpster. Like there's some uh, really interesting foul notes that come off of, of some cannabis strains that people <laughs> really enjoy. But uh, yeah, that, that's definitely an interesting one. Surprisingly though, I found a, I found a really nice Cushman's uh, uh, Fino. In the pack that I ran too, it's really, really nice. Which I wasn't really expecting. That from, uh, that's from JBZ, right? No, that was from Modern Epinetics. Wow. It was like, uh, well, it was those, they used their, they used like real cuts and then the, the guy uh, did a reversal, I think, with the runts on, I think, the uh, Cushman's 11. Uh, hey, Brandon, you get any real skunk smells out of anything at all? Anything that you're, playing with the only time that i've ever really experienced 
what people uh, smell as skunk is usually after a certain type of cannabis has been burnt. And it's like, you know, you can like smell distinct different cannabises sometimes by like the smell. Like when I walk into a room, like, um, and I hadn't been smoking, so right. I can often tell like what was being smoked. Yeah. You no. Know? And so for me, <clears throat> it's like, even when you were younger, you didn't people have to do not People who don't smoke, people who don't smoke weed or, or uh, people who are not as familiar with it, I think those kind of notes might be a little more distinct, you know, because they're unfamiliar to them. You We're know, interpreted so that, as skunky when they're not necessarily yeah. like everybody yeah. that I know who doesn't smoke thinks like all cannabis smells skunky to them. Like when they smell somebody smoking in the distance. Or if they smell it in a bag or in a room, they're like, oh, it smells so skunky. I think because they're like almost trained to think that they don't, weed smells yeah, like skunk. They got the wrong definition of skunk. Right. I had but for Brandon, like a while a disassociation of like smell with that that's similar in the opposite direction. I used to use what's called like a sploof or a zoom tube where you blow smoke through like a paper towel roll or a toilet paper roll that has uh, dryer sheets on the end to cover up right, the smell right. of the smoke. So for a while, when I'd have like, fresh laundry or you know other things that the dryer sheets i'd even just smelling the dryer sheet i'd be like oh this smells like weed or cannabis but ultimately it was just my association with them always being smelled together but even like the fresh dryer sheets that didn't smell anything like cannabis i started thinking oh that smells like cannabis sort of like people think all cannabis might smell like skunk they're just right. mentally committing it to that uh, brain association i guess but brandon or jack you've had real skunk weed right that that's smelled all like I skunk and smoked for like a long real time and smoked yeah all right so i went into my high school and oh, uh, it's real <laughs> my vice principal was like he called us out from like 15 feet away one our eyes were a little bit red but he's like it smells like one of you assholes just ran a skunk over on the fucking road like you know come up like get the fuck out of here we we're like at like a basketball game or something all high as shit and uh we got called out real quickly but he smelled it for sure and it was skunky skunk so um yeah the the herb smelled it's, like it pre-smoked and when it was smoking it right was, that's what i mean fresh it smelled like skunk it's that shit's real i'm yeah i can't believe no one like because so many people now are running so many different strains everywhere and like i forget what meme but if someone found it they they wouldn't shut up about it if it was real well, the, that's what they got. One dude, uh, Blue Skies Vienna, is kind of like that. Right. He's like gotten like 50 accounts blocked, and he's like, oh, I got they the like, real skunk from old timer. And like he's just fucking sending out packs. But um, we, know that, we know that the dude's, you know, full of shit because you can see old timers on some of those posts straight up tell people, like, nope, this is this shit is not true. It's interesting. Maybe it's just the mental connection because, like, I know people that have run the blue skies Vienna that uh, I do have some respect for like Kineos genetics uh, got a pack and they said that they found some skunky and uh, burnt rubber, things like that. But I don't know. I think sometimes when you go in expecting a smell, maybe you are mentally um, committed to that smell. Like if somebody says, Oh, this is some strawberry haze or something. And you grow it and it doesn't smell like strawberries. Like the grower might be like, Oh yeah, it smells so much like strawberry. Right. And everybody else is like, uh, I guess, <laughs> but uh Maybe it doesn't smell like strawberry, but in some cases it actually really does. So I think that's why it's always best to give somebody a sample and say, what does this smell like? You don't offer up a suggestion and taint their uh, potential the, opinion the of cold, it. 
the closest thing that I have is as far as the varieties that I have are some old um, Romulan MK Ultra Crosses that smell really funky and nasty. Um, but <coughs> it's, it's not like skunk because to me, when I smell like a, a real roadkill skunk, right? And I smell them all the time because I live out in the, uh, I drive out in the back country of Oklahoma every day. Um, it's like kind of a sweet, arid, pungent, and then it has like this rancid, you know, that like musk, you know what I mean? And and the only thing that I that I have that really comes close are gonna be the things that are like really garlicky or really oniony, and they kind of smell like fu- just funky, but it's not really that same like combination where you're getting kind of the same beginning sweetness. And then this arid putrid musk, you know, they're just different, you know, so but it could be interpreted by so many different people, so many different ways. But my my interpretation is, you know, based off of my experience that I have on a daily basis driving on that driving by these road killed skunks because I do it on a daily, you know, like every day there's skunks on the road. Is it possible that different skunks have different varieties of compounds that change the uh, smell of their spray? Not that I've noticed. I've smelled more than one hit skunk, and they smell totally similar, if not exactly. Me exact, too, right? but yeah. me too. But if you submit it to a terpene test, which it's not a terpene, it's like a thiol or something. They've done the testing; they know what it's the just skunk spray one is. Compound? No, it's not one. It's a combination. But there's uh, also esters that are in it. Um, and I, wonder how much, I wonder how volatile those compounds are compared to something like some of the the terpene the terpenes that are more stable because the question would be then you know can we have these really highly pungent plants that we can smell even at a distance but you know those compounds be so volatile that they you know change or don't even stick around altogether. Say roadkill skunk is you know kind of it insinuates like a necrotic smell with skunk but like spray skunk you know if you've ever been sprayed with skunk that's way more potent than roadkill skunk yeah yeah because roadkill kill skunk is usually something that's been out for a little unless it's fresh you know but yeah you do get that you get do get that 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 spray mixed in with okay so I really the, uh, think the actual better. chemical. Sorry, go ahead, Spartan. I just wanted to say, I really think as a breeder, especially anyone that's an up and coming breeder, it's way better to have a target, maybe um, chasing a high or chasing um, a flavor type or a smell type, and just try to create something that you're looking for end product. And if that is skunk, then that would be skunk. But don't be influenced by other people. Go by what you're looking for and go by what you think skunk is and just. Don't listen to all the chatter and the noise because it doesn't matter what you have or what you create. There's always going to be 30 guys telling you it's not what you say it is. So just do you and, and ignore that stuff because I think so many people don't even want to breed because of how cool. tightly contested it can be on the breeder side and how, 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 I don't know. It's just, it seems like, 
seems like what what should be done would be like whatever name you come up with to name a strain just put your name behind it so like if we're saying skunk we i say spartan grown skunk you know what i mean and then that solves everything and then you don't have to worry about oh i got this from so and so and so and so and so and so and that proves that this is what it is it doesn't prove anything it's still just taking somebody's word so i i don't know i i think it causes more frustration and, and less progression by arguing over it than to just, just do your thing. Well, yeah. I don't think people are going to find the seeds that made that skunk, but that, if you go running lines of everything, you, like that skunk could pop up in something that you didn't know was there. That's kind of what I'm like, was asking Brandon. If yeah, I know he's running men, many seed that he could have came across one that was literally skunk, you know, but it might not have been the, whatever they said the original skunk was, but it could be because it's cannabis it could be a different skunk all its own. But if you know that skunk, dead skunk smell, you would know it if you grew it out for sure. Oh, and I'm always looking out for it, but I just, yeah, I bet. <laughs> I find stuff that's really interesting that might be able to be interpreted as that, but it's not like that dead on, like, and then here's the thing, too, just because it smells like that when it's, you know, flowering, Growing, yeah. those, those things change as they, as, so uh, true. as the plants dry and it's, you know, pruned, trimmed up and, 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 and put in storage. So that's one of the things uh, I was going to bring up, though. I, I think it's like uh, several phases. I don't think you're just like if I was hunting a bunch of uh, Jack the Ripper, which is not known to be skunky, I'm not going to expect to find skunky stuff i would look for where you think it's going to be most likely and search those bases yeah. first um but the chemical is actually called mercaptan uh it's spelled like that it's like what they put in the gas line so you can smell gas m-e-r-c-a-p-t-a-n that's found in cannabis i've uh, probably posted somewhere on my uh, page if not i'll do it sometime tonight mm -hmm. the they found that in chemical tests in cannabis as well as in skunk spray as well as in gas lines What's so some people even mercaptan M-E-R-C-A-P-T-A-N. So that's one of them, but there's like ethyl mercaptan. There's a, there's a bunch of different chemical varieties of it. One will smell more burnt rubbery. One will smell more skunky. One will smell more like uh, rotting flesh or something like that. There's a whole bunch of, um, I don't know what the technical term is, but um, like isomers maybe? Of it. Derivatives, yeah. yeah, whatever it is. They, there's a bunch of different varieties of it, but that is one of the main things that I've found concrete evidence. It's in both in cannabis, as well as in skunk and that smell is what, something we've identified i had a plant that smelled like it was a, literally a tire on fire like potent stank and that was like the closest kind of penetrating smell that skunk had but it definitely was not real skunk it was like i'm saying like plastic on fire but yeah i'm yeah, really interested in that called tire that was the strain name was called tire fire from there you um, go I think a lot of Afghani stuff has some of that sent to it. Um, another yeah. thing I wanted to mention was on top of genetics, there is the curing, drying process, and even just like the production. Back when a lot of the skunky stuff was around, at least where I was at in Ohio, a lot of the indoor cultivation, it's mostly HPS. Um, not everybody had great air conditioning. I think some people were running the rooms a little bit hotter than they should have. And some people theorize that running it hotter might bring out a stress in the plant that creates some of those, um, you know, whatever it is, um, thiols or esters, uh, alcohol, aldehydes there's so many different little possibilities and i'm not saying it's just mercaptan it, that's part of the profile but that's just something that i've know provably is both in cannabis and um in the skunk aroma so um but on top of the growing it in a hot environment i think transporting it like 
a lot of the stuff, whether it's Mexican brick or it was beasters grown in Canada, uh, dry sifted, and then sent to people in Ohio. And, you know, the, that method isn't happening. It's still happening, but I, I would say it's probably not happening as much. So I think, um, we're seeing less cannabis that was poorly aged, almost like, uh, I don't know if you guys ever had beer in high school before you were supposed to, and people would like hide it in their trunks and shit. And then it would get hot and it would get cold. It would get hot and it'd get cold. And then it would become what we call skunked. skunked. Yeah. yeah. And it tastes like shit. Right. So sure that's did. like not a process most people are doing with like their cannabis <laughs> right now, but it does happen from time to time. Like people leave it in their car and sometimes like you leave it in your car for a day. It gets like that heat, heat up and you pop that jar in there and you like smell it. You're like, holy shit, this like opened up a bunch from the heat. So I don't know. There's so many different factors to the whole skunky thing. But I do think a big factor that uh, we didn't discuss so far tonight was a lot of people stopped smelling it or growing it because people identify that as the smell of cannabis. So it was immediately, um, you know, either a skunk or a cannabis grow. So cops would either they'd go investigate whether it's a dead skunk or cannabis grow because it'd be a big bust for them if it's cannabis grow. So a lot of those people that were growing that cultivar or those strains, they literally ended up in jail and those plants got cut down and those seeds are either in the police seed vault somewhere or just completely destroyed. So a lot of it uh, either, either stopped being grown or got killed by police. So I think that those think are like sort of my awesome. three part theory of why skunk is so hard to find nowadays. Uh, a lot of these processes that are not happening anymore. Yeah. And I think that's also like what you were just talking about. There might be the whole cause of people keeping skunks for pets. I don't know if you've seen that. But uh, that's the only reason I could think of ever wanting to have a skunk for a pet. But uh, I hear you can de-skunk them. They like get their uh, glands. Oh, yeah, they, they pull the glands out. But still, man, it's like, I don't know. They're admittedly cute. I have a security camera and there's like, oh, they're six cute. Little they babies. got claws, man. They, they got claws. Yeah, they could tear into you. But uh, I guess that's true for a lot of animals. San Diego, I think, has both types of skunk. There's like the, like, I think one has like the broad stripe. And then there's the other one. They have like one has a fat tail. They're a little bit different, but there are two types of skunk, at least in the U.S. And it's funny because we have some listeners in the U.K. who don't have any skunks. I was talking to Green 13 one time. It's like, dude, all of this talk you guys talk about, we have no fucking idea because I've never smelled a skunk in my life. And I'm like, I can't wait to you travel and smell one. And you're just like driving down the road like, what the fuck is that smell? Like, he'll probably think it's some, you know, ganja or whatever, because maybe he's come across some at a point in time. But it's definitely an interesting thing that certain people don't have them at all. And uh, like I said, they do have them in San Diego and we have a little neighborhood and I catch them on camera every, every so often trotting around and uh, you definitely don't want to startle them and get sprayed. That's why I think it's funny when I learned that same thing. And um, because we were talking about they that was a common slang for weed was skunk over there. So to them, that's really all skunk really ever was. It was never association associated with an animal because like you said, they're not on the island. So uh, and they never have been. So, well, and the strain Sam, the skunk man brought over allegedly, yep. you know, from uh, sacred seeds or whatever. Um, I think it was eighties or nineties and then skunk number one, I think won the cannabis cup in 1988. I could be incorrect about that, but it was it one of the first ever cannabis cup was skunk number one. And so the name skunk, whether it smelled like skunk or not had entered into the cannabis um, existence in a strong way. And like you said, people in the UK didn't even know it because the smell of the skunk it by that time actually had been bred to a point where I think it's still at currently now, if you find skunk number one, like anything labeled skunk number one, to me typically smells very sweet and piney. It's usually high yielding and a very potent high amounts of THC, something about skunk number one, it doesn't have a 
CBD at all. It doesn't have the ability to produce any CBD. So there's zero CBD synthase. That's why THC is so high in it, but um, it doesn't actually tend to smell like skunk. And so that's why I think there's, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of confusion with the um, cow breeder dropped out. So I got to add him back into the chat here with the it's actual name the- skunk though. That's one of the things that I uh, don't see a lot of people doing is pine stuff anymore. And I love pine weed. That was some of my favorite stuff. I remember there uh, grew this stuff called Jaw Love. And it was super, super piney. And it tasted like like what white sage smells like. And it also smelled like white sage after it was burned, ironically enough, too. I like piney stuff. I had actually just attempted to start some 79 Christmas bud and uh, pine tar kush. They're inbred lines. And to be honest, I did not um, re-amend my soil for my solar cups. I was trying to go like no-till. I sprinkled a little. My earthworm castings got eaten by ants, like I probably told you guys a few weeks ago. So I didn't uh, refresh it with earthworm castings, which usually gets me through that solar cup phase. And um, they just were really, really growing slow. So I'm going to go re-clean up the veg space and get some good soil. And I actually decided to pop something different this next round, but I'll be growing those. I have more of the pine seeds. I ended up calling all of them, even though hundred uh, percent germination and they just were growing super, super slow. And I can't say that's 100% because they're inbred. Uh, it was probably 80 to 90% because they were in shitty soil. So, <laughs> but it just reminded me that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right and uh, start over and do it proper. So anyway, that's that's my take on the pine so far. I'm definitely curious because that's something uh, alpha pine has been known. That. I have a cut of that Christmas, that 79 Christmas pine. I haven't run it though. I just have a mom of it. I've just been like, haven't even done anything with it yet. I got a few packs of it um, from, or well, I should say a pack from CSI Humboldt. Their uh, regular line is called Pirates of the Emerald Triangle. And like I gifted some to my brother and he started growing, but then his wife, who's not a cannabis person, uh, found out that he was growing and it made him kill all of his plants. So, Oh my God. There. Tell him to uh, put on his pants one leg at a time and take him away from his wife. No, I'm joking. But he's Brandon, in a state where it's not missed, quite open yet, you, you know, and he's got a missed, big job, whatever. You missed the time frame, Brandon. He's supposed to have that stuff ready for December 25th, boss. People oh. appreciate it whenever. I know. I'm only messing I just messed with you both. Sorry. I love you guys. I think pine stuff <laughs> is definitely really, not, it's a clear smoke for me, uh, depending on the strain, but it tends to be pretty like uh, uplifting, clear, giggly even sometimes, but I'm definitely a fan of just the flavor and the aroma of it. And alpha pinein, I think uh, has been shown to counteract some of the forgetfulness associated with THC. So that's always a good thing. Don't have some of that short-term uh, memory loss that might be associated with cannabis use on occasion. Like, where did I put my keys or my coffee or my hat? Yeah. Maybe when it's on your head. I'm excited. I'm fucking smoking my outdoor. So I'm smoking that sparkle face outdoor right now. I started with a joint. I smoked, I think it was two bowls. And I'm grinding up some more to keep going. But I'm fucking high. I'm high on just that. So I am excited about that. That doesn't usually happen from flower. I love that. Uh, When you get a fresh harvest of something, you've never, your body's not used to it at all. And you're like zero strain tolerance. Uh, it's some dank homegrown because you put all your love and time into it. So that's how I've been. I was smoking on tazimis like that. I didn't do much to this. Not in the growing part. Well, of course, the harvest and all that. But I mean, this was like literally I gave it no nutrients at all whatsoever. And I mean, it just it was in the natural soil, you know, in the earth. 
so it was getting nutrients that way. But it, and it rained so much this year. I bar- I watered it four times. It's whole life. That's all I did. I watered it four times and cut it down. That's so. efficient. Yeah, it's like a sunbolt at the dry farming. You know, some people don't have to water their plants at all. It's amazing. I think that's even better, honestly. The less you have to water it, the better. And it's cool that you have to do minimal inputs. And well, uh, normally I would, if I'm running, see, I didn't run it like I run a production. Like if I was running production outdoor, I would have been slamming it with five gallons of water every fucking day, you know, as long as it was looking good, at least from the early on, and then maybe even more. But the approach I took on this was I was trying to keep it below a six foot fence. So I trained it down. I put it in a trellis net and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to wait until it droops or shows signs that it needs water before I water it. It never drooped. It never fucking drooped. So, I mean, the times that I watered it, I probably could have got away with not watering it, but it just hadn't rained for a while. And I was like, Ugh, I better get some water on it, even though it hadn't drooped. Yo, have you guys experienced plants like that? They, they tricked me a couple times. This thing would be totally bone dry and the leaves were almost like praying. It was standing up fine. And I was just like, you guys, what are you doing to me, man? Did like, you ever push it though? Do you ever push it and just fucking no, <laughs> wait till that no, very I'll last second? Though, and it's like, dude, no, they got, I think it was damaged, even though it still didn't droop. I'm telling you, um, that God bud plant, the God bud, I remember. Cause they, and it's so deceiving because the plant's so small, but the leaves are so fat and huge. So like it doesn't even feel like it needs water because it's such a short plant, but those leaves are just pushing out. Like, I guess, you know, they're just transpiring and yeah, it got dried out, but if they don't droop, it was just so bizarre. It freaked me out like more than once. It, I, not, I to the extent, not to the extent that you're saying it, but the, right, um, right. the Mac one is that way. Like it can get okay. real dry before it gives me any indication. Like, yeah, that's I heard that's why it grows so yep. slow. You almost have to like, barely Force it's almost soap. like an aloe plant you have to like give it little water uh, to make it grow better uh, uh ross the jeff said it almost grows like dreadlocks worth of roots across the top and like he said that it, for whatever reason he let it get almost bone dry before you rewater it again versus a lot of his other plants that were not like that so it's interesting yeah and then he, then he'd hammer it he, he would come back and just hammer it hard hit it real hard yeah when you did water it give it a nice big watering it's an interesting plant. It's definitely gained a ton of fame over the last few years. Um, my next one coming down is Donnie Burger. We were talking a little earlier. Brandon was talking about his garlic burger that has that smell. Um, the one thing I wanted to say, and I always like to remind the chat and the listeners, that GMO does not mean garlic, mushroom, onion. Um, that is an association other people have made because sometimes their pheno may express those smells. The guy himself, Skunk Master Flex, has said several times, you can go look on his Instagram, that uh, it's not garlic, mushroom, onion. It's because of the Girl Scouts were like getting accused of using GMOs in their cookies and things like that. And also the plant kind of grew like a GMO plant. It's huge. It's crazy. It takes like 78 days to finish. It's, it's not your typical <laughs> cannabis plant that people are growing uh, in today's world. So um, I think a lot of people look at GMO and are expecting garlic, mushroom, or onion, and then they might be disappointed. So I just like to give that reminder. Um, but with that said, grand- grandpa's mouth odor. I've heard that one for GMO too. Is that have you heard that? It does smell like garlic, though. That's the whole thing. Well, I'm, I'm not de- denying that there's garlic hues to it, but it's not named after garlic, mushroom, onion, which a lot of people think that it is, and it's not. Yeah, it's it's just a pheno of garlic, garlic cookies. From uh, Mamiko Genetics, which they were femme, I believe. 
and they re-released those uh, garlic cookies, fems, like sometime last year, yeah, and they sold out very quickly. He's got a pack of them. I told him, man. I said I keep bugging him. He, he doesn't even have his room built out yet. I'm like, you gonna pop those yet? <laughs> the Donnie Burger is some fire stuff, which was the uh, back cross of the GMO, and yeah, uh, we're gonna get a hold of that too. So he's got a yeah. pack of those. He's got a pack of the Donnie Burgers. So I'm about to harvest mine, maybe tonight or tomorrow. I don't know. It's it's getting real close. I, I always try to push it a few extra days or whatever, but it is definitely. Uh, Super loud, strong smell. It does have some garlickiness to it, but uh, this it's got some fuel as well, uh, some gassy traits. Um, I've always liked every pheno of Donnie Burger I've come across. So I, it, too. it's, it's definitely always be super high. So potent, potent stuff, and it yields pretty well. It's a pretty plant. It's got some flavor. Uh, purples, I don't know if I would not all purple. Do you, do you enjoy the flavor? I don't know if I would say that I enjoy the flavor. I've I grown to. You, I think I could say. I like the actual garlic and, and food and, and culinary. So I do think that I enjoy that flavor and I enjoy gas from like, I kind of, I'll say grew up on the West coast uh, smoking a lot of OG and there's a ton of fuel in that, which just, it hits for whatever, like they, they grow a ton of it out here still. And I think a lot of people are almost like hooked on that profile. So if it's not that it has to be that plus something or like, yeah. you know, combination. Yeah, I see that. I'm in that wheelhouse for sure. It's a great pain reliever for me. I think uh, Kevin Jodry, I uh, love him or hate him, correctly, I think said a lot of people he was working with were getting off opiates or you know painkillers, whatever it was, and cannabis helped them with that. And OG was one of the best out there for that particular uh, thing. So that may be anecdotal experience or whatever, but I think the high, I would say, of OG is pretty narcotic in its effect. So it makes sense to me that somebody coming off of like an actual narcotic drug would be enjoying the similar effect that cannabis can provide. And I'll say this much more safely, which is a huge deal because uh, too many people die every single day from opioid overdoses. So if you know anybody, reach out and make sure they get help because that's some real, real serious stuff and it shouldn't be uh, taken lightly. But with that said, uh, I don't know if we've got any questions from the chat or if uh, we can yeah, weave anybody asked, in who hasn't got to talk. Somebody was asking um, Matthew to talk about Hoplite and Virus, I believe it was, in chat a way long time ago. I have a question, too, to, to, add, to, to add to that, Matt. Uh, sorry to interrupt anybody. Uh, so somebody at the, at the Harvest Club said that, and he, I'm, I don't believe any of it unless somebody says something otherwise, but that there was something on the market that is illegal to use, but is available somewhere that you can feed your cannabis plants that prohibits PM from growing on it. And I was like, I never, I was like, I'm, I, mean, I can see maybe like kind of like in a human form where you're giving it vitamins to try and help defend against it, but I don't know anything that you can feed in the root zone that would prevent plants from getting PM unless I'm wrong. I mean, Sort of there is. I, I can tack those together. I'm sure that even Brandon has some examples of this that we could draw from. But uh, yeah. um, a few weeks ago, I made a post about powdered mildew uh, infection and how, how it happens. And it became a great sort of forum in the comments about some of the things that affect this process. And there are things like silicon products and... Um, uh, you know, there are certain ways you could prime the immune system of the plant to be a little bit more resistive. Um, but ultimately, you're always kind of uh, relying on the plant, you know, to, to, to deal with it, right? I mean, and if you want to be really pedantic, uh, sure, you could 
uh, spray it with some Luna Tranquility or, or um, you know, one of the various azoles or other fungicides that are systemic and nasty. That'll certainly work, but I uh, don't recommend that in cannabis for obvious reasons. Um, but I'm curious, yeah, I'm curious if there was a more like specific product, like maybe a botanical fungicide or something. Is it talking about Eagle 20? You know what? Jasmonic. Powdery mildew is like, I don't, I hardly ever I've never see seen powdery mildew yeah. in people's systems. Like <laughs> if I go and do consults and stuff like that, the only time I ever see powdery mildew is if their environmental controls are off and don't have enough air movement. That's like the main factor that I that I see. Yeah, usually it's outdoors is where I see PM. That's usually where people are battling that. I, I would say that I've seen enough situations where people just get it. I do agree that usually the places are very humid and there's not a lot of good airflow. Um, uh, or if it's raining. Um, it might be really wet. Yeah, regionally yeah. specific because, like, I've sort seen of. botrytis over and over in the wet, wet. I've never seen powdery mildew in the wet, wet here. And I've well, had plants outside, like, in the wild, totally. I think that there is, like, a, a, a regional flux, right? It does change in different places. Um, botrytis, yeah. though, botrytis is super, super duper generalist compared to powdery mildews. Like, um, okay. Yeah, so like uh, right now, um, there's a couple of different species that are confirmed. First of all, I want to just say up front, uh, fungus taxonomy is a joke. Um, not that it's not important, but it's um, really hard to like, uh, you know, delineate different species, which is important because you might get an overlap where one species um because they all look very similar, right? Like unless you're like getting down and, and, and genetically testing them, you're not going to really know for sure. Um, but you might have one species that, that like infests maybe let's say a hundred species. Another one infests like 90 of those species and 10 different species. And so their only functional difference is this discrepancy, which it's not going to matter to you because you won't know, but it will matter because you don't know which plants could be hybriding it or, or whatever, and hop um, hop powdery mildew was recently uh, described in cannabis up in um, up in Canada, actually, I think. Um, so, you know, that, and they were talking about how it seems like, uh, compared to like lettuce powdery mildew, um, it, it seemed like it was a lot more narrow the different plants that it can cult it can grow on, and they were speculating in the report. Uh, that like maybe a, a like a raspberry plant or some other plants that they know could also have the hop um, powdery mildew were in kind of the local area, you know. So that kind of stuff is part of it. But botrytis can infect tons of different plants, whereas powdery mildews are they tend to evolve to be very uh, much more narrow. So even the more generalistic ones. But you were asking, to... Smart was asking about. Yeah. Uh, wait, no, you go first. I was going to say, did I distract you from the original question? I apologize. No, no, but it's a good question okay. for sure, for sure. Um, uh, so hop latent viroid, um, actually, I decided against having a slide about it on uh, the aquaponics conference that I was talking on because there isn't a whole lot of good information out there. 
So I just kind of feel uncomfortable to some degree. Like here's what I, here's what we know. We know it is um, found in a lot of plants, especially in commercial nurseries. It's very, it's a big bugbear. It's very difficult to deal with. And a lot of people are um, kind of afraid about it. And I, and I have seen some like, uh, I guess I'll say that there are people out there who think that perhaps it is not such a big deal or at the very least it's not as extensively out there. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where you can't really tell visually. That's what makes it so problematic is that the symptomology is super indistinct and it has viral latency. So like it says in the name, um, you might not even get the symptoms until it's already colonized your whole plant. And since the symptoms are not super like uh, distinct, you might not even know it, um, especially if you haven't grown that cultivar before or you don't know what's normal or if you're a new grower. And this is like, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult to really know at all. Like um, at Mittencanico, they would know because they have like, oh, we harvest this plant X amount of times per year at this amount of pounds per light. And if it started just doing 25% less all of a sudden, which is I've seen that or worse with hoplite and thyroid, it looks worse. It's producing lower amounts of cannabinoids and terpenes, um, less yield. So it is very serious in, in, in many circumstances, I would say. It's just very difficult, like you mentioned, to identify because it's, it's very subtle. I mean, it's like your harvest, it, it gets danker as it goes week by week, but it, it's like at those last two or three weeks, you're like, oh, it just doesn't look as good as it used to. Like it, it's such a weird phenomenon, but it, it's definitely damaging and, and can cost lots of money to commercial producers and even home growers ultimately. That's an important point. Most people don't um, consider about regulation is as terrible as it is. And it is, I fucking hate it. Um, it kind of pushes the science and it pushes everything forward. You know, the good side of having to, for, you know, forcing us to test every single crop is that we have that data. We have that data that we can look back on and we can say, yeah, you know, it's stuff that you wouldn't see with your eyeballs. You know what I mean? Like stuff like, yeah, why did we have, you know, such a higher terpene percentage this time or such a higher, you know, we could pick out a single cannabinoid or something like that. And if we wanted to really get nerdy about it, we could get into every test and organize that and compare it on charts and it, it could really drive us to make good decisions to uh, continue with our business, obviously. So you can really take, turn a negative into a positive, at least in that way. And there are, I typically agree. Testing. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go for You go first, Aaron. Uh, real quick. There, there, there are labs testing cannabis nationally under the, the hemp, hemp law where you can ship them a sample and and they will tell you the the viral load in in that that tissue and um, there's procedures for that and stuff so I, I agree spartan there's there's a lot of potential with the testing yeah and i i'm also of the same sentiment that like um well particularly cannabis is in a lot of ways is overregulated in a way that i don't agree with at all um but i have to admit like and sort of this like yin yang <laughs> sort of problem you know there's these two forces fighting in front in, inside of me one of them is this sentiment the other one is the the very like well-documented fact that some pests and pathogens are just atrocious to deal with and 
Do you know how hop growers got rid of hop laden viroid? They didn't. They just decided to grow specific elite cultivars that are highly resistant to it. That's how they got rid of the problem. They didn't get rid of the problem. They just got a, a, a highly resistant uh, selection of cultivars through, uh, you know, breeding programs and things like that. Something that's not really accessible to cannabis currently. And in the future, I expect it to be. Um, but that also, you know, there's, there are ramifications for that too. And uh, this was, of course, happening at a time when, um, which we, we now, a lot of uh, uh, plant cultivators and even breeders and other folk in the agricultural space recognize as maybe a problem is that we were growing, that's kind of a narrow population, right? And I think people are understandably concerned uh, that maybe what people will be able to grow economically will be uh, uh, an extremely truncated selection of what is possible or, or allowed. And this is even from a residential space. I really don't want to see that as much as possible. So, but we'll, well, there will probably be a couple of different solutions people will come up with. Um, Shredder0911 asked where the 90% infection rate estimate comes from. And that comes from a, um, a Dark Art Nursery article uh, where they were, they had selected a bunch of plants for testing. So they sampled a bunch of plants. It's not that and this, this statement often gets like oversimplified as 90% of plants have hoplite viroid. No, 90% of the samples that they sampled had hoplite viroid, right? Uh, we have no idea, um, you know, terrifyingly, we have no idea how extensive it really is. Um, and I think that's the real problem. You can't really see it very well. You don't know what has it, what doesn't have it. And, um, and it can uh, be sitting there doing nothing and not, you know, waiting for exactly. to trigger it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe even, you know, ostensibly we have plants that are resistant already or have some, some level of tolerance maybe, or, or whatever. There might be some like, Botrytis is like this too, where it can reside in certain plants for a ton of time, have basically no detrimental effect. And then suddenly as soon as it bolts and starts to flower, boom you know, pathogenicity uh, takes hold, uh, sporulation happens, um, you know, all these other problems happen. So like that could be happening right now. And we just have no way of assessing that. And as soon as the plant gets stressed out, then like you get these, the thinning, the stunting, lower terpene, lower cannabinoid content. Um, and then by the time you recognize all that, it's probably already in all your other plants. So um, yeah, it's just kind of terrifying from that perspective. And I, I really think it's I'm biased but I feel like it's better to err on the side of caution uh, rather than like assume that it's just some hoax because I don't believe so yeah, <laughs> don't really and what so. that looks like at the commercial side of things is tissue culture it's sending yeah. samples every every single thing that you're going to plan to go into a flower room goes to a tissue culture and it makes sure that it's, it comes back clean before you know you go and throw that into your production and that is it very very expensive so not everyone's doing it right now, but I think, I think that's where it's going to go. That's where the industry's headed. I think I so. That even well. like in a non-industrial. Sorry, I wanted to give Kyle a chance to jump out, and then we'll get right back into this topic because he has to go at uh, eight o'clock his time. So that is uh, one minute from now. Right so now. Kyle. For sure. Sorry, guys. Uh, I completely agree with you, man. I think TC. Oh, so interesting enough, I didn't bring this up. So TC, I believe, is the way. And I just talked to a guy recently, and uh, I wish I could 
I'll listen to the the or you've heard about this talking to tour, amazing gentleman. We talked for like an hour before the show the show started. The next level. Well, what's the next level for teams? Like, well, man, wouldn't uh home growers want to just get the cuts? So, you know, now we're looking at like, okay, well, what uh, the, the the hemp bill, the farm bill, and well, technically everything's DC, but then lawyers are saying, well, hey, you're still playing with fire and blah, blah, blah. And so we're talking about this stuff. And he's like, oh, well, this, this company's doing it now. I said, doing what? He's like, legally doing it. I was like, what do you mean by legally? So I guess there's a way um, you can get DEA certified through some kind of a program or something where they will allow you to start sending those cuts, knowing that they're THC still. And I was like, well, you have to do your own research. I can't really release, basically you wouldn't release who's doing it. Cause that's where he's going kind of trying to nab at that. So I could talk to that person too, but uh, basically it's happened. There's D somehow there's somewhere or somewhere there's DEA approved process that you can get, start sending cuts legally uh, without being in any kind of gray area with sending th uh, hey, dude, cigarette, it, it might be cigarette international there's sure, a couple um, companies i'll check yeah so yeah. I, I found that pretty interesting uh i thought there's something else but uh yeah i have to leave basically i have to i have still have so much unpacking to do and i'm really sorry you guys have to leave early um but uh i'm really happy we're all here and i know i probably sound like a broken record but i'm just really uh privilege that you guys uh, all let me do this every week and uh, allow me in here to do this and then we can all still do it together and i uh, hope you guys all have a a great week and safe week and i'll see you guys on sunday have a good one kyle it's good to see Take you kyle after a show i can see you glowing like i feel like i'm glowing after those shows it's so cool to just go out there and meet people it really is man i feel uh, i feel like somebody <laughs> <laughs> recharge the batteries for sure yeah proud of you, thanks buddy. guys have a good night buddy so we were talking a little bit about hoplite and viroid, and um, I think it's interesting that the hop growers decided to not address it, or maybe they tried everything they could to address it, and they weren't able to beat it. So they said, hey, we've got to breed our way around this and make something resistant. And um, like you said, the cannabis cultivators are not at that point necessarily yet. If I was to bet on a horse in this race right now, I'd probably go with Oregon CBD. They've been doing some pretty crazy large breeding operations, and um, if there was going to be a group that breeds their way around it in cannabis, I think that it'll be them. I'm not connected with them anyway, but uh, I've been impressed by them on a few occasions. The CBG stuff they've done and CBD stuff done, they've done in hemp has been uh, very impressive so far. They use a lot of analytical data at the, the highest, highest level to do it the right way. I Matthew, I got a way question. Around it. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you have a facility that has does not, no, you know, does not have the virus inside your facility, if you keep everything in-house, it's obviously going to reduce the risk of getting it. But it, will they not get it if they don't bring in a cut or seeds that are contaminated from outside into the facility? No, it's magic. It comes out of nowhere from another dimension. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> it's a vibe it's actually it's actually just it's actually punishment from on high. Uh, <laughs> the case. No, uh, I honestly like it's if that is the case. Like it's the that's the point is is. Are you sure that if the, that you that your given statement is true? That's what I I think always messes people is the up. Question is that, mark? Is yeah. that they're yeah, is that they're pretty sure? Um, but yet somehow it still seems to happen, just like with pests, right? Like people will Obviously. tell me, I'll be walking through a grow and they'll be like, "Yeah, we're pest free," and then I'll be looking through and be like, "Oh, what's that?" You know, so it happens. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> 
but yes essentially yeah like if you keep yourself um cloistered absolutely like that'll definitely help you out yeah like i'm not gonna take clones from anybody i don't think ever in my life well unless they can vaccinate them right yeah not saying that you shouldn't with bavaria this fucking demonetized then again we're never monetized anyway we can say whatever the fuck we want man this is not a monetized show well, if you have a contaminated garden already, then taking everything, right? That's the way to go around everything. If you get spider mites and no, you solve for everything, place, and you just solve every- everything. Hope you don't get a virus. Yeah, take the new ones in at that point when you know you have stuff. So then you know they go through. <laughs> <laughs> just that's the that's the that's the Spartan way, right there. That see who emerges, who can live through that. It's got to be a badass plant. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I will definitely go back to what they were kind of saying and. Uh, Tao's alluding to with uh, growing from seed and starting in a clean environment. And I know Dr. MJ has got the new year's grow challenge coming up. So even more reason to pop some seeds and grow along with uh, some of the gromies out there uh, on cocoa for cannabis.com. And uh, you know, anybody else who's popping seeds. Cause like I said, I'm just, I'm actually popping some velvet punch F3, which I decided I'm more urgently wanted to work with myself and do a test run myself before I send out any to testers. So that took the place of the pine tar kush and 79 Christmas bud. But uh, doc, do you have anything? You, I think you said you recently popped some stuff, but uh, what are you planning for the new year's grow challenge to get popped? Yeah. And you were going to say something about hop and viroid, right? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. If I hear my thoughts about, wait, what? I was asked two questions. So uh, what seeds are you popping and your thoughts on hop and viroid? Because you were going to say something earlier. It sounded yeah. like. Oh, I was going to talk about breeding your way around a disease with. I'd love uh, to hear about it. Well, it just means it's a huge bottlenecking event. I think that that you were kind of alluding to this earlier, Matthew, that like that basically means like you're down to the strains that have good resistance and then they have to provide parental genetic material to like all the rest of the cannabis that we grow. So it it creates a a huge bottleneck. I mean, that's just somebody also brought up bananas in the chat. Um, And that's also sort of the the case with them and, and other crops that you know diseases uh, or pests decimated oftentimes they're viral stuff um decimated and then we had to find a resistant variety it means we can no longer grow that variety anymore unless you can cross in the resistance but even then it's sort of not the same variety um so there's a big consequence to to sort of having to take that route in this war it's inherently different because everything is then at least partially i don't know if crispr changes like more than 50 or less than 50 percent it might be less but in a traditional cross i think you're getting at least 50 percent of the dna from the resistant thing yeah and but then you could keep back crossing it right so you could get like lower and lower gene. as long as you hold on to that that one trait but you know there's a lot of genetic scrambling that goes on in this and and if we have to to use well if you could use crispr but nobody's really doing that with cannabis genetics right now well, even other genetics, it's really difficult because what it comes down to is you need to have somebody on the ground who can identify this plant has yeah. the disease or doesn't have it and it is reasonably shown that this one is resistant or this one is not resistant. So you right. need people, boots on the ground that can identify those things, which takes a fairly intuitive person. A lot of these people are losing their asses. A lot of these crops are getting destroyed by some of these things and people have no answers. They've tried any and everything to know. Right, to find the genetics that actually is resistant to that. Um, yeah, there's an interesting story to where they found, you know, they genetically engineer, um, 
resistance to herbicides into crops, the, the Roundup Ready crops, um, they found the genetics that they could engineer in when they surprisingly found bacteria growing in their chemical waste pits. And they were able to figure out well, what sort of traits that bacteria had, what was the gene that that bacteria had and take it and, and engineer it into um, corn and soybeans and like all sorts of things that then can tolerate the application of that chemical. So finding the resistance is not guaranteed. Um, I think there would be sort of some cultivars that had greater resistance to it than others. Um, but yeah, these things. The other thing I wanted to say in, in sort of thinking about this whole conversation is cannabis is in such a different regulatory position than every other crop. Um, I know we're used to thinking about sort of the heavy hand of government regulations on legal grows, but the prohibition of, of most cannabis cultivation means that there's no regulation. I, like, the the doing prohibition that's one of the big consequences of of enacting prohibition based policies is that you can no longer regulate whatever it is prohibited because it's prohibited and so it, it moves it into the black market and there's a lot of things that they can do with like pest control measures and stuff like that with you know on normal farms that now, I'm worried about sort of the ability of any kind of regulation to really have an, a, a significant effect on the cannabis market because most of it is prohibited. I think I might have mentioned it on a different show. Um, somewhere where it is not so prohibited is up in Canada and University of Guelph dropped another study. We might have even talked about it last week about the UV and they, mm -hmm. they showed the lower yield. Was that on the show as well? I think we might have discussed it here. I don't want to necessarily might repeat have been it. After I, left. I don't remember that. So um, I should probably pull it up, but University of Guelph did a study where they had three hours of UV included. Uh, it was like 0 0.2 to 0 0.9 umol, and it showed uh, the UV condition. And I think they tried a number of conditions, but that was just the one that they published in the study. It decreased not only the uh, like cannabinoid and terpene yield, but also the like flower yield. So overall, what wavelengths. Showed, what, I mean, what type I think of it was UVB. Was, um, didn't Matt, Matthew? You showed this, didn't you? Yeah, um, I think we were either talking about this or a different UV paper earlier, but um, I definitely uh, uh, had heard about it. I actually don't think I posted about it on Instagram this particular one where they were like increasing the UV spectra and they were showing like the, the, there was a very um, descriptive diagram or rather picture of like the inflorescence when it was like lower to higher and like uh, the bud amount really tanked. It just really yeah. <laughs> got very small. Her, her name was plant PDX girl who originally That's showed right. that study. And, and I did repost it. Um, but shamefully did not read more than what I posted. So I really can't comment on it much. Interesting. I'd be interested in that. I've been lost in the world of the other end of the spectrum out at far red and infrared and looking at extended par. Um, so I've, I've kind of got um, interest in getting down and really diving into the science at the, the shorter wavelength light, the, the UV, A, B, and C. So I pulled up the study. Uh, frontiers.org is the article. Uh, it's University of Guelph, and they show, I, I don't have the actual photo that I saw earlier, but there's a, 
different levels of UV exposure. Uh, hopefully I can click out of this. Zoom is blocking a whole bunch of stuff up. Um, one second. Oh no, it's not allowing me to click out of this. Strains. Give me a second, I'm gonna stop sharing screen <laughs> and then I'll try and uh, minimize this and get back to the actual study. Someone was talking about some lighting company did a thing claiming that blurples are better for veg than any other lighting that's available. Did you guys oh, hear heard, about that? I heard something about that too. They said in just veg only. Yeah, yeah veg. Yeah. Blurples I didn't better. end up finding out the paper and shit, but I would have yeah, sounds I like had, somebody that wants to sell off their old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good theory there. So I figured it out. It was actually a different tab. So here's another photo of the increasing UV exposure level on low tide and breaking wave were the strains that they used. And here's another photo here, uh, increasing UV exposure level. You can see like this one, uh, the leaves start to have sort of a negative effect over here. Um, what did you say the density of the UV light was? You talked was about it in terms low. of like a quantity in micromoles, but I'd need to know the density. So how, how much space those micromoles are spread out over? So I sent the actual link in the- yeah. okay. Look at figure Zoom. eight. Could Here you click on figure eight up there? Go up. I just want to answer Dr. MJ's response uh, question. So UV right here, they talk about, it. Oh, I thought that that was the actual micromoles. I think used. it'll answer his question, which is why. You said figure Or maybe eight. table three. Maybe table three has that information. Oh, yeah. I think you're going to find that in here. Let me Let's see. Scroll over full screen. P value. Okay. On the left hand side, my phone's blocking that up. Beta finding. So these are terpene levels. Uh, THC. No, never mind. No, this UV is the response of, in the plant. I'm thinking about what was the conditions of testing? What was the density of the UV light? I, the, thought, the, uh, I thought figure eight had the. Um, uh, you just passed. I'm going to go. I'm going to go up to the um, actual. Uh, abstract it would be in the message good point good point the yeah. methodology Before, or, or here we go 225 umoles per meter per second squared 18 uh, okay. hours per light six hour dark period uh, that's a lot BPFD i think that might be good. 400 for, for, hold on is that the only amount that they were giving was 225 micromoles no it must have increased over a, a gradient i believe um and what is that? Is that the average photon density? Is that the maximum photon density? Now, I'll have to read this, but there, there's some more information we would need to understand the actual dose of UV light that they were exposed to. Yeah, I remember we had a um, paper about UV before that I had posted, and it caused quite a stir because um, uh, I think something about the in the, in the methodology, like uh, kind of it kind of made it a little bit moot because they like started with an already damaging, I forget what they were testing exactly, but essentially they started with already a pretty damaging level of UV and they so were trying to make three, some. Yeah. 3.5 hours, 290 nanometers, uh, 270 nanometers. They're showing a few of the different pieces of information here, but three and a half hours. Um, like I had suggested in the past, I believe uncle reefer does one hour in the beginning and two hours, at the end of their cycle and have found their best results with that, but they're not doing the same level of testing, like uh, the control conditions and experimental. I, I want to find there was a really good photo. Uh, I think Aaron, the grower might've said where they saw 
um, on Instagram. Somebody posted it if they're thinking of the same one that I'm thinking of, but it showed mm-hmm. like, I think this, yeah, this right, right here, increasing UV light exposure. So look at the far right, the butt is tiny, uh, shriveled up. It doesn't look very good. Is that increasing density or time under the same density? Basically, my opinion is they're hitting them with too dense for UV light. That that being at 250 or whatever it was, photon density for those wavelengths, that's a hell of a lot. Um, I, I would expect a good density. I don't, I don't, I'd have to look for some real numbers, but sort of off the top of my head, I would think 100 to 150 would be like as much as you would need. So they're coming in at like twice as much that um i'm gonna look up because they wrote we have a minimum a low a moderate and a high so those were the exposure levels of uv so i'm sure that they list some but the level still doesn't tell us if that refers to density or time i would imagine they measured both i think it's three and a half hours for all and i think they just at different densities okay that would be better yeah that makes sense so here it is uv of ppfd emule for a meter squared and you can see as it went higher the things went lower so i think it was just three and a half hours this is 0.2 0.4 0.6 0.8 so that's when i said earlier it was 0.2 to 0.9 that's the low end condition is 0.2 and i believe 0.9 is the high end condition and the high end condition of 0.9 for that three and a half hours was way too much obviously the plants responded terribly to that i think the reason as somebody else pointed out i was on fucking talking shit with eagle um, they had mentioned the reason they believe um, to begin at just three and a half hours was because some people, including lighting companies, are saying, run it all 12 hours, run UV the entire time. We've got like one UV diode in there, so it's UV or whatever. So they're trying to push UV more than it's worth. So I think this was trying to show at a baseline, look, only three and a half hours for the entire flowering cycle at such a small amount. They're not even going over one or whatever their measurement was. It was 0.2 to 0.9. Even at that low-ish amount, they have to be very careful because they're seeing negative results in their testing. So I think it was worth that showing because yeah, they actually have the, uh, the data like we were talking about earlier. And, and they're in Canada, thankfully, less regulated now than I think they've probably ever been as far as being able to conduct science at universities uh, and feeling comfortable and confident like this. I will, coming from a university myself, caution you that most of the studies that we're getting are... Um, <laughs> Question abstracts. Um, so it's there. It's a particular kind of science. It's usually good. It's usually pretty reliable stuff, but it's always good to read into the methodology. That's why I started asking a bunch of these kinds of questions to, to see what they're really showing. It's such a new field that I, I imagine their advising committees are stretched fairly thin in terms of their ability to really uh supervise all of the research that's going in all of the different directions so um it's up to to the reader when you're reading dissertation work i'm not sure that this study is but some of the other stuff that i've seen coming out of golf is um to to do your own due diligence and make sure that they've set up the experiment well i got poked fun at this it is guelph i believe uh one of the canadians told me that at least um Maybe I'm, I'm mispronouncing it or maybe it is Gelf and I'm, I'm fucking it up. But one thing I wanted to go back to is now that I kind of have an understanding of the UV conditions, it is interesting to look because uh, it says increasing UV exposure. So now we know, I think it's 0.2 and I don't know what the two middle conditions are, but I know the top one is 0.9. How much smaller this uh, low tide and breaking wave plant 
This are... doesn't make sense though. So when did they start applying UV during veg? Uh, you know, I need to go back to the study to find I hate that. to derail because it. Because what it, it looks picture. like, I mean, your plants you don't shrink. We can't believe that when they started applying the UV light, that like the plants started to shrink and get smaller. Look at and by the time plants. you start applying UV light like this, the plants should pretty much be done growing. They're in two pots and look at the roots hanging out of the bottom. Are these things like aquaponic? What the fuck were these growing in? None of them look great. That's Spring. why I said I want to walk around their facility or get a tour of where they're growing it at. Those because I'm just curious. a lot of a lot of cannabis uh, research is kind of like this. And, and I think that was even there's even like a research report. I think they came out or maybe it was just an article criticizing this. But like that was actually the point being made was that like the can it was like cannabis research about cannabis research not being very good for some of these reasons and that especially in government research like uh they're not testing the things that people are actually working with because those um uh resources are heavily scrutinized and heavily uh, controlled and also are not even the things that people are growing in the first place so possibly say, not even relevant did you have a smoke low tide or a breaking wave I have it, but it's it's what that they had available to them. I'm not worried necessarily as much about about the strain as I am about the cultivation method. Like I said, I would like to go see because I do know there is good research being done on hemp as they're referring to it. It is cannabis ultimately at the end of the day. But um, what it Bruce Bugby, uh, I think I can't remember what state he's in, but I've seen he's done a tour of their lab. Their controlled environment grow chambers, in my opinion, are well constructed. The plants look healthy. He showed the difference between uh, one plant in a a pot versus another and showed like root binding and root constricting and how much uh, larger or smaller you could get a plant uh, in the same size container. Like, I I think that he has a very found, um, like good understanding of growing cannabis. So there are researchers out there. I'm not 100% sure that uh, Guelph or Gelt, however it's pronounced, uh, has that same level, but they're putting out interesting uh, studies that make me uh, have my thoughts provoked because for a long time, a lot of people were beating that drum on UV and how it's awesome. And I've seen studies about how in nature it can be good. You know, uh, that was the other thing I wanted to say. I said, I'm fucking talking shit with you. People are like, well, there's UV from the sun all day. So if I'm only giving it for 3.5 hours in my grow room, how dangerous or how bad can it actually be? And um, it is actually dangerous and harmful potentially to you, depending on which UV it is. So be careful with that stuff. Um, and you're scanning like, as far eyes as I like know, that. UV on roots, no good. And we saw roots hanging out. I don't know yeah, where they were hanging out. The yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not arguing. Yeah, that I have questions. And I, I would healthy. just say my, my impression of the science has been that UV light does have a benefit during flowering. Um, so I, I just want to sort of put that out there. There's this a real, be, this there's would be study. evidence to the contrary, but it, it's sort of like an outlier at this point, as far as I'm concerned. That's why I brought well, it up. It feels like the opposite of this. This is just kind of, to me, it's kind of like, okay, this much is too much guys. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll take, we'll take your advice. Three and a half hours is too much. Let's, let's maybe go down at that concentration or even with that particular oh, yeah. UV, because like UVA yeah. is different than UVB. So I'm wondering how much of which one, because I know like the micro uh, study I've mentioned in the past where they used like plasma lights and even some UV lights uh, with rosemary and hemp and things like that over there, they're finding higher terpenes and cannabinoid levels. So it really does come down to who's using it, how they're using it and uh, how the study is conducted. So, yeah. uh, so it's, it's just is- one point of research in a, a broad scheme of uh, 
things that are still being to, to be determined, I guess. It's like that study is like proving that when you drop a nuke, it kills things. It's like, yeah, we, we kind of knew that really high UV exposure is going to be bad, but this, I don't know if this is testing anything really after. Yeah. Discussion. I have a study from 2009 that claims it increases in full in fluorescence and the leaves uh, added UVB. I'll put it in the chat. Share so, it, dude. Everybody's yeah. got the ability to share. You can do the share screen. Show it off. Let's uh, let the people see the stuff. I, I could do that too. Let me put it in the uh, YouTube chat quick, and then I, I, yeah, I'll show you. Hold on. Somebody just just actually texted me on the side and said the the par levels were really low. So, what was the the PPFD of the par light that was applied at the same time as that UV light? That makes a huge difference. They're not like cutting off the par light to give them three hours of just uv or something are they anyway i hope not we, i have questions <laughs> that'd be crazy i have questions that was from one of our buddies berkshire bud who um apparently has read the study in question and is, is texting me on this side some things about it pretty sure it said that the lights were on for 18 hour photo period and a six hour dark time but i, I could be misremembering what i saw oh, yeah but what was the photon density he's saying that it was only 250 and that they're also giving 250 micromoles of density of uv light so it'd be like a 50 50 blend between uv and par spectrum light i mean yeah, that, that that's bad that would make some sense and if it was only 250 micromoles of of par density in the first place uh, i'm sort of surprised the plants got as big as they did hmm. I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, this is now like fourth hand discussion, but um, it's interesting. And it is fun that all of this stuff is coming out. I'm actually working on some of the other research that um, Bug, Bugsby, um, Jen, a few other researchers have been looking at um, on spectrum, on light, on the role of different wavelengths. And um, it's interesting stuff. It's a lot of fun. It's you're right about that. They had a hundred umule when they're cuttings, and then they increased it to. Um, I'm looking. I just lost it. 225 umule per meter squared per second at the canopy. Well, that's sort of ridiculous. And the propagation wow. in, the veg, in the vegetative growth stages had 18 hours. Uh, let's see, photo period. I'm trying to see if they wrote for flower if they increased. All right. Well, since our, I'm already screen sharing. This is accumulation of Delta-9 in leaves and florid tissue of cannabis sativa. Vertical bars indicate plus or minus one standard error. UVB oh, refers, to ultra, refers to ultraviolet radiation co convoluted with a special action spectrum weighing function for plant active radiation, i.e. before integration over wavelengths. The spectral components have been multiplied by this function. This procedure stresses the importance of the short wavelength components. But in any case, they, they do it as exposure K3 meters squared. I don't know exactly what that means. But three meters squared, that would be something to the cubic meters. And what's that in freedom units though? Square meters. Calvin or something? Minutes. But it's the long and short of it is... Kilojoules? What the hell is it? KJ. Kilojoules. Uh, okay. THC 
milligrams per gram went from 4.5-ish to 6.5 on the leaf and 25 to about 33 in the thing. And basically, I think, what did it say? I think it said temps, 5 to 10% increase. Anyway, I put the, uh, the link in chat. And this is entitled... The effect of ultraviolet radiation on accumulation of medical compounds in plants. And they do one other plant, which I'm unaware of. But yeah, this is more right fitting in. into what I understood from like the body of research on, on UV light. Um, so thanks for, for sharing that as an important counterpoint, because I think we yeah. otherwise would have left everybody with the impression that it was it was done now. But yeah, it is always interesting right. to consider contrary evidence and, and to then to try to account for it. Well, I think it also just uh, goes to the point of you can't just implement it willy nilly. You can't just go, oh, uh, right. here's a UV light that somebody has in their grow space. So I'm just going to slap it up in my grow space. If you have a different size grow and yeah. different requirement for your UV, you could either fry your plants to shit or you could increase your THC. And well, it's there uh, are yeah. good arguments to be made for both sides. It, in this one, I think about- you can fuck it up, but if you do it right, you can benefit. 100% agree this with one, that. I think it probably shows that 50% is too high of a mix for ultra wavelength radiation in terms of your overall lighting blend. Um, the, the maximum proportion for um, the longer wavelength um, is only about 30% in order for it to continue to, to contribute to PAR. I would imagine beneficial uses of ultraviolet would be down in like the 20% or less of the total blend of sort of light. That's why I originally said like maybe 150 micromoles of density if you had a thousand micromoles of PAR density. But I'm, I'm sort of no longer surprised that they had trouble growing plants if they're doing 250 micromoles of UV and 250 micromoles of PAR. I don't think that was the case looking at, uh, I need to read it further, but it says yeah. here in the results that it was a 500 to one ratio of PPFD to UV, but that would mean that there's very, very little UV and it seems like they cranked the UV. Um, but that's just what this is saying in, in the results section, it says equals 500 to one at which was within the range normally reported par to UVB in the solar spectrum. Is that just part of UVB? Because, it, I mean, based on the, the photon densities they're reporting, it seemed like, well, I'd have to get into it when we should just not like sort of- I think in flower, they might've went up to 500 PPFD. I'm trying to find the exact point yeah. where they discussed that. But yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to just bring up because at least they have the data and like even uh, Tao, I'm glad that you shared that study as well, because like I've said, I do believe that there is a case to be made um, that it can benefit the plant, but it's like for our audience in particular, I think this is even more so sort of what we've kind of warned about in the past that maybe it's a better idea to try and implement a dehumidifier or air conditioner or better grow light before you start throwing UV in there, because I'm sure there's somewhere else that you can spend money before you start going and investing in a light that has UV built into it or getting a UV bar um, and, and installing that and then going through all the proper precautions. Like I know um, California Lightworks, I think was their name. I, I don't see too many of their lights anymore, but they had a like flashing, really annoying light that would be on whenever anything UV 
was on just to remind you like hey if you're in the room be very careful like this is a damaging light make sure you're wearing your protection and don't be in here very long because it's potentially very dangerous to you so um these are things that should definitely not be uh, forgotten and i see noah uh, over there unmuted himself for a second so are we at the point in the show where we're going to be able to get the walkthrough here in a little bit yeah absolutely but i just wanted i i was just going to say uh all that stuff that you just said is all super huge. Definitely make sure you have your air conditioner, your, your environment right. But another huge thing that people don't understand when it comes to growing really good wheat is you need good genetics. Um, so I'd probably be like, just keep pheno hunting, keep looking for new, I mean, because you can always find something that's really killer out there, you know? So that's another thing you can also spend your money on in a rabbit hole. It's a good, you know, good one to go down and a good investment as well. Oh yeah, you're gonna get a lot higher THC from a great strain than you are from a little bit of UV light. Um, those things were showing like the difference from you know that 26 to 32. But if you're growing a 15 percenter, it's not ever gonna be higher than 15 percent. Not that THC is the only thing that matters, but it's just one of the many things that are in a big basket full of the things we enjoy in cannabis. So um, I, I totally agree with you there, Noah. The genetics are important. Too. What and are you uh, gonna show us off in your, in your space as well? that's huge yeah. making sure yeah. it works in your area because that's that's helps that's another reason to go through a whole bunch all right check them out let's go to spotlight you know spotlight for everyone and Noah, you're muted so if you want to uh, unmute maybe uh let us know what we're looking at yeah totally uh so this right here this is a uh, uh, Sherbado Sunset Sherbert crossed with uh, Dosey Dose. This is kind of like a finicky plant. And um, it's taken me uh, all this time to kind of figure out um, how the, because I'm completely organic in here. And uh, it took me, you know, a couple runs to figure it out, but I'm getting there. You know, my yields aren't as quite where I want. And I didn't uh, train as much. I didn't, I just really focused on the water and hitting the numbers right and doing everything. And so some of these buds aren't as big as they normally would be like this overflow plant here. This is a big, big yielder, but that's like a 10 week, 11 week strain. I don't care what they say. I've grown that for years and I you need to push that plant at least 10 years. And then we got, and this is just, I just am doing right here. I got a couple over here on the side, just my 15 and I'm just still trying to figure out this one. This is uh Tropicana Punch, Tropicana Cookies Cross. That's my first time, the second time running that apple fritter. These ones are only about four and a half, five weeks in. And these ones are only like, oh, I don't know, maybe two weeks in. So I, I kind of lay, you know, have my room layered like that. But man, some of this stuff is really smelling good. Yeah, the organic part is a lot of fun. And uh, the, the end game is, uh, you know what, what I'm trying to trying to learn from some of these uh, OGs here on the panel. They're all growing organic, so I figure I better learn something new myself. No, I got a question. You said um, your your yields are lower um, than yeah. than you'd like, but um, are your inputs less money? So are you spending less money on the input? Uh, um, I don't think no, no, because I'm using high end stuff. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm experimenting. So it, I'm throwing stuff at the wall. Um, you know, I'm trying to throw, figure a, out throw what, a soil test at the wall. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially because I'm uh, I'm 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 doing all new soil. Um, I'm running all new living soil, and then I just kind of I I kind of like thought maybe it would just go the whole time without amending it. It's my first time ever doing it, so I kind of ran into some snags here in my last couple of runs. But well, I'd say that's pretty cheap for inputs if you did nothing. No, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not doing that now though. Gotcha. So, um, but yeah, it was cheap, and um, the yields were a lot less and i just ran into a lot of like you know yellowing and but the yields are a lot better than when i didn't do any inputs i'll say that and certain strains have performed way 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 better like this uh sherbet oak plant right here this is kind of a lower yielder it's like a dosy doe across and um you know everybody's grown dosy does know that's kind of a lower yielder but uh it's it's starting to get pretty chunky it's still got you know this is probably like start of day one of week seven so these are some pretty good, pretty good sized nugs for that strain. Looking good in there, man. I say keep up with the organics. Just try and dial in your inputs so that you can spend less. Because that's the whole advantage of organics, right? Is is you know being more aware of what's going on in your soil and being able to spend a little bit less money on inputs. Well, and yeah. the input cost goes down after the first run or two because he had to switch over to soil, so he's giving a lot of the base soils now. And then hopefully you'll be able to reamend and top dress and uh, not have to like, you know, toss that stuff out or, you know, get rid of it. You're just going to keep reusing it. And I, I'm not sure if that was the case when you were using your other mediums before or not. No, it wasn't. And uh, that is kind of the thing I'm trying to learn to be sustainable. I'm trying to, you know, be environmentally friendly. And, but it's also just because I want to smoke better stuff and just be healthier and just, um, and really all you guys, you know, all you guys talking about organic and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not like some, you know, gangster grower, but I can do this. So I'm going to do it, you know, and I want to learn new stuff. And I think I'm going to try cocoa here in a couple of runs. I've never done it either, really. And I'm going to try doing that. I'm just going to try learning new stuff, but I'm never going to not grow. Uh, I'm not going to not grow organic anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm in the process of ordering a pallet of soil, spendy living soil. So um, boy. yeah oh yeah oh yeah i'm jumping in head first you know that's the only way i know how to do it man <laughs> we'll have to teach you how to re-amend spartan grown's got a good re-amendment uh mix it's oh, absolutely. pretty simple good stuff and um i definitely think you'll crush it if you use cocoa because as somebody who's tr tried a lot of different methods uh myself and I i've seen you have success with lots of different methods now i think that cocoa it, people tend to take to it pretty quickly and have a lot of success with it um, especially when you've got people like Dr. MJ who could, uh, basically give you a guide where you could have numbers within a range. And if you've got a meter, uh, you have a pretty much fairly bulletproof method. And I, I think you're going to enjoy cocoa because the, the rapid growth and, uh, fairly large yields, I think will be comparable to whatever your previous method, uh, was in my opinion. Well, I'm lucky to have access to, to all you guys and, uh, you know, I'm a part of the show, but I, you know, I can ask questions and everybody that's, uh, you know, listening and, and at any time listen to this, you know where to find all you guys and find it, me and find everybody. And, uh, man, it's, uh, it's awesome to be a part. And I, I do thank Shane for bringing me and uh, introducing the show and everybody here. Um, I have a blast doing it, man. I was excited. I was like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, that's <laughs> good, man. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it, it's a, you know how guys know how it goes, man. To, to do something like this, all me, it's 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 a lot of work, man. And uh, I got a grandkid now, so I've been uh, just juggling both. And um, yeah, uh, it's 
I do want to learn how to do more living soil because eventually I want to try and maybe like do an automatic water. I've never done that. I hand water everything. So, um, looks great. Yeah. I appreciate it. Chunks, man. man. Yeah. We'll have to yeah. teach you a, a watering system when you get into cocoa and have Dr. Yeah. Andrew get you on that, uh, high frequency fertigation <laughs> with the DIY watering system. It's uh, easier than you think. And it's definitely super effective. So yeah, smart poker. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to interrupt blatantly, but Smart Poker was asking what, what the differences we think are between no-till soil, super soil, and living soil. And yeah, I could go into that. If, That's a great question. Let's hear I it. I could jump on that. Well, I think that like super soil is there's no living bugs in it for one thing. Like that's you, you mix up your super soil with the organic amendments and then you use that soil. I would say uh, living soil is could be no-till. No-till and living soil, I would imagine, are the same, where you have, like, your living, you have your earthworms in the no-till bed, and that makes it a living soil. All your stuff is there. Like, I have a super soil. I consider myself more like a super soil because I keep my worm bin separate, and I take all the amendments and mix it into a soil and use that soil, and I top dress with other stuff. But a well, no-till and I bet you there's soil, life in that soil. shit. Living soil right. does not so require you go with worms. Your ATG, right? Give so, your definitions. So I, you were dead on until you said uh, living soil has worms in it. I, you know, it okay. can, but it's not right. required. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and so can no-till, right? No-till can have worms crawling all up in it. And I can yep. I can I can go drop worms in my low-till, no-till bed, but <clears throat> you know, it's it's living soil. And even super soil, man, once you once you incorporate any fertilizer especially organic fertilizer that's living you've you've added life, guess you're so. kind of right but the goal isn't to well i guess it is kind of to keep that that life alive in there but yeah that's the way i always looked at it like the way right. i explained it but you're right too you're more right the well. tilling process that the whole no-till literally just means if you till it or not so i mean that that's a the easiest delineation to make of all of them right but the living soil versus a super soil, I think you might start off with a super soil and it becomes a living soil because you might have some local pests or whatever predators get attracted yeah. and get up in there. And now you've got you know, stuff that IMO. Yeah. I think it only is a super soil for so long. And then you start to get things naturally in there, whether it's from introducing it. the input or, uh, you know, your natural surroundings, even indoor. Sometimes there's little cracks and things that can allow things to get in. Building off of that, Jack, I really think that no-till is a bit of a misnomer for any kind of container style agriculture. Like nobody tills this, the media in your container. That's like dragging a plow through it and turning the soil over. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're in field agriculture. No-till means that, that you're sort of practicing the, the soil mi microbiology um, Tilling, turning the soil over really kills a lot of the, the soil microbiology that's in there. It exposes things that should be six inches under and it buries the stuff that should be on the top. Um, and it's done for aeration. Um, and then you just supplement things with chemical fertilizers. So the, the whole idea of um, no-till is to stop doing that aeration to do sort of a more ecological style of growing in your field so you don't have to turn the soil over every year 
Um, but like, it's not, I mean, now you're taking those same methods about how to grow in an ecological way with the, the microorganisms and all the rest of that that's necessary to do that in field style agriculture. You're recreating that part in a container. And I understand sort of the connection there, but it is sort of always a misnomer. It's comparative to like, I could, I used to grow in three gallon pots and five gallon pots or whatever. I could dump it out each round onto a tarp, bust it up and then re-amend it with my amendments and then stir it up so it's nice and even. Or I could chop the stalk out, leave just a tiny, tiny little portion to plant whatever solo cup into that. And uh, from there, even before that happens, some people would put a cover crop down and, and keep the biology alive and okay. do some of those extra steps. And uh, before they, uh, they can cut down the cover crop to add some nutrition into the soil and add like their top dressing and then plant in. That's where I feel like some people feel that connection, even though they're in a pot or in a container inside their home to the no-till mentality, I guess. It's become like a, a culture within the organic community. I think people want to get attached to titles and labels or whatever. Uh, they, it feels like a merit badge almost at, at times. But, yeah. Uh, it, it's well, I mean, this is, this is sort of the full circle moment. Earlier, I was talking about Roundup Ready Crops. One of the marketing strategies behind the Roundup Ready crops was that they could be done in a no-till style, um, which was literally an, a, an environmental argument about why this was a, a, a better crop to plant because it would prevent farmers from having to till. But of course, it required plant farmers to have to display Roundup. Um, so there's there's it, those differences sometimes make sort of profound trade-offs to say the least because i've yeah. seen organic farms that till and it just they change crops so it's like there's a grass crop over there they till it now they're growing corn or something like that that wasn't able to because the ground was maybe too muddy or too hard or something like that you said it yeah. adds aeration it's adding the, the greenery in there that compost and adds some nutrition and things like that there there's, you go I encourage that's exactly it to call it organic growing that's what i encourage people to call it yeah, but but a tilling tilling <laughs> is tilling is not. Here's the way I look at it: tilling is not a form of farming. It is a method to incorporate, you know, air into your soil. Period. Yes. Or other things, and you incorporate you things or into the soil. Or you don't, and if you don't, then you're the no-till. It's too hard. Yep. Right. I mean, I'm no-till until my soil doesn't have air, and then I need to till it. So. Yeah. Broad, they, yeah, but then they broad fork it, but they say that's not tilling. Okay. Yeah, a lot of a lot of farmers right. till as a, as a form of <laughs> weed control, though. I mean, just to turn over the weeds after the the field has been um, fallow, things like that. There's lots of different. That's anyway. a great point. I want to give uh, Spartan a chance to jump out here because I know he's got to get his uh, self ready for the Michigan Bros Grow Show over at six o'clock here on the West Coast. I think that's yeah. nine o'clock there yeah. on uh, the East Coast. So. I want to give him his final thoughts and shout out opportunity. I appreciate that check. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, you guys can catch me here in about 15 minutes and the Mr. Bros grow show. Appreciate if you watch me there. Um, I, sorry, my dog's making weird noises. Distracting me. <laughs> he must, he must know he's ready to go out time to go outside, but anyhow, uh, love you guys. Uh, love the, love the talk today. It was such a, it was weird. It was just like a nice free flowing conversation. My favorite kinds. Um, and I learned some shit too. So that's always good. And can't forget about chat. Love you guys. Uh, we'll see you here next week. I don't know. I've got nothing. My head's empty right now. I can't think. <laughs> Fuck the MCMA. Fuck the MCMA. There you go. Healthy address, bud. Keep going. You didn't give his email address.
but everybody knows it. <laughs> you can email Spartan at SpartanGrown at gmail.com. And you can also find him uh, Spartan Grown on social media. And Mitten Canico is where he works professionally. They do some pretty badass stuff over there. I think it's worth checking out. They're featured on uh, Can of Cribs, Deeply Rooted uh, on YouTube, which is pretty badass. So cheers, Spartan. I always appreciate him being on here. I do agree that today uh, was a nice free-flowing conversation. We didn't get to include as much of the chat because we had a full panel tonight. We had the full uh, nine of us, at least at the beginning. And now it's just down to the remainder of us who are here. But I think that we had a good little talk about the UV and things like that earlier. But uh, I'm very happy everybody, for the most part, got to participate tonight. So um, I want to ask maybe Brandon, because he's been quiet over there for a little while, if he has any uh, final thoughts or uh, maybe ideas about what we discussed tonight that he'd like to share before we close up. No, not really. I just was listening in, listening to you guys kind of go back and forth. Thought I'll be, uh, you know, doing my own thing. Cause I did purchase a, uh, 40 foot long, like mobile lab. It's already been converted and it's going to arrive tomorrow. Um, and then I just got to figure out a place. I'm trying to find a piece of property right now, get my own kind of thing going because having partners isn't the best thing. Um, Brandon, I saw the clip of, of you showing off the lab with your girlfriend, right? She yes. didn't look so excited, was she? Or is that just like I misread a face? <laughs> no, she's uh, she, she doesn't mind. I think that she knows that I'll be able to utilize it to, um, yeah, I'm just cool joking, but we're all just. I thought uh, that was the. Um, I thought that was the NASA Agritech lab. Or maybe no, not. no, he's got like a shipping container lab, but it looks really good in there. It's got everything you need. Oh yeah, the Connex, right? Is yes. the Connex thing? Yes. Yeah, that was so impressive. Look at all that stuff he can fit into one Connex. Honestly. Yeah, it's really cool. It's got different. And it's got both sides of it have heating air and it's like you can section it off. So it's, it's pretty neat. I think I can do, do some uh, legitimate like testing in there. And I want to do some testing to formula to do like a perfect formulation for this carbon-based fertilizer. I think it's uh, funny that Brandon now has, a lab in a shipping container and a grow in a shipping container. And so basically the only way you can grow, uh, you know, tornado proof in Oklahoma, his shit, you can literally put on a rail car or whatever and just ship it out if uh, tragic weather was coming your way. So it's a pretty cool that you could essentially at some point, uh, you know, shut down your operation for a little bit and just ship it wherever you want in the country. And you've got your lab and you've got your grow. So <laughs> shit, you've uh, opened up a whole world of opportunity for yourself now, I guess. I was always, I was, I'm always, uh, I, I like the, um, the sort of fantastical idea of like a, a mobile lab, just in general, you know, just like being able to be like, all right, let's hitch it up to the truck and move across the state and do whatever. Um, uh, there are various people who do a, things like that. You need I a imagine that the, the shipping that, container that shipping does not is, feel particularly mobile to. That's what I was just going to say. No. I, I have two, <laughs> like, and they were delivered on flatbed semi trucks. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'll just call my semi truck driver over to get these things off my property. Yeah, but that's the greatest thing. It's see, possible though. It's only one hundred and forty dollars uh, in Oklahoma City. Mm. So if I need to take it somewhere else, it's only going to cost me maybe maximum two hundred fifty bucks. Wow. What? Yeah, dude, it's freaking awesome. 
That's unbelievable. I had get that helicopter three thousand dollars to have one delivered in California. Three thousand dollars to have it delivered. Whoa, it's dude, gas I, is what seven dollars a gallon thing, here. It's about that much thing now. on Facebook Marketplace, and I like panic bought it because I thought that like it was gonna go so quick, and it probably would have though. I probably would. I probably would have though. But I was like, dude, I need to have that in my life. Like, that's a good investment. I can do something with that. Good call. It's good to trust your gut. Sometimes that stuff doesn't stick around. So I'm glad that you got it. And uh, I'm curious to see what you are able to uh, find out with it. You know? Yeah, that's um, awesome. What kind of equipment is within the lab? Do you have like a HPLC or other things like that? No, no, no. So the lab is just, it's, it's a converted 40-foot shipping container, but it has a full sink, vent hood, storage cabinets. It has a shower and eyewash station. And it has... Uh, two compartments that are both independently heating and air. It also has air compressor. So you can have any type of air kind of tool hooked up and utilized throughout the whole thing. Plus it also has water, has 200 amps. Um, that's pretty dope. There's a little video on my IG. Now that you uh, kind of talked through it, I do actually remember seeing some of that stuff. I, I wasn't sure if you were planning to like uh, bring certain equipment in there. Um, I know with like the vented hood, the first thing that my mind would go to uh, other than growing mushrooms or something would be doing tissue culture. And is that something that you'd be interested in doing or hiring somebody to do within your lab? Yeah. What I'm going to do first is I'm going to do um, some uh, agronomic stuff with cannabis. That would be ideal. Um, once I get a bunch of data and stuff that I'm trying to collect to do a couple of formulations, then I will probably, you know, get a, I'd like to have um, some mycology incubators, a PCR, and then maybe start doing some additional uh, mushroom varieties because the place is hooked up and I could hook up, um, I could hook up the lab equipment for extracts, cultivation, everything like that, just in that small space. That's really cool stuff. And I want to give you the chance to give your uh, shout outs where the people can find you. Uh, Cause with enough of us here, we'll probably take the rest of our time just to let people know where we are. So uh, go ahead, Brendan. Sure. My name is Brendan Rust. Uh, I appreciate all the listeners that come and say hi to me when I'm at the conventions and that uh, show me love and support. Uh, I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff going on. So uh, you guys can find me at rust.brandon, www.bokashiearthworks.com for different products and microbes. And I will see everybody next week. Looking forward to seeing you next week. The PCR, one thing I forgot to mention was I think that'll be kind of cool because I know you can definitely do uh, cannabis sex testing on there if you figure out whatever the protocol is for that. And I think you also might be able to test uh, like for things like hoplite and viroid. And if not, I know there are a whole bunch of different things you could like identify certain uh, microbiology with uh, PCR. So there's tons of different uh, availability with that technology. So like I said earlier, super exciting stuff. And thank you so much for joining us, Brandon. Uh, I'll see you guys. Next up, we've got Aaron the Grower. Thanks, Jack. Panel, uh, it's really good to be here. Um, I'd like to apologize to chat. I'm never, I'm never really paying attention, but 
that doesn't mean that I don't want to interact. I just, I'm like a two birds, one stone kind of guy. So I'm, I'm always doing something else while I'm on here. So if anybody has any questions and, and they're trying to reach out to me on chat and I'm not paying attention, just shoot me a DM or jump on my uh, website, atgacres.com and send me that, that link on there goes straight to my email, my personal email. So I can get that. I can respond to you guys or just shoot me a DM on Instagram. I try and be good about that. Um, I'm Aaron, the grower, ATG acres on Instagram, atgacres.com. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm just sending from uh, Jack Greenstock the link in case for uh, Tao. I don't know. I think you're a moderator, so it should have shared it earlier. But that's the UV study that Tao shared earlier. And uh, with that said, I guess I'll pass it next to the American one. All right. I'm here, Jack uh, and Paddle. It was great chatting it up tonight. It's always good. And uh, I made it in chat a couple of times. I love everyone over there, too. I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on the IG. Most of you know where to find me. If you just start searching the American one, the little guy with the top hat, uh, American top hat, that's me. So, yeah. And uh, uh, I forgot what else that I was going to say, but yeah, peace out, everybody. That's all good, man. You're uh, normally very good about giving everybody a little shout out. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it was a good week. Happy to have you back and look forward to seeing you next week. And with that said, I'll pass it over to Noah V. Groa. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, I got some uh, cool new stuff going on in my room. And um, I'm going to be experimenting, going on a journey. And uh, yeah, if you want to check out what I got going on, I'm Noah V. Groa with two E's. You can recognize me. I got to do uh, It's me with a big button for my face. I've been using that. That's a butt I grew shoot probably eight nine years ago now that was actually a hawaiian haze big mug ahead but uh yeah you can find me there and uh most weeks here on go with my fellow growers with the panel as always so see everybody next week we're always happy to have you when you can make it and uh even when you don't we totally understand so thank you again for coming and it's uh, exciting next upcoming few weeks because when uh, this time change has happened we'll get to see a lot of noah's garden so we'll get to see some of those plants uh progress over the following week weeks which is exciting so thanks again for coming noah and uh next up we've got dr mj hey thank you jack thanks to everybody thanks to the chatters i think we all were sort of like asleep with switch on chat today but we love you chatters and uh yeah let's see you you brought up the new year's grow challenge thanks for for giving us a shout out for that that is coming up of course on new year's day we are organizing a big new gear giveaway for the first week of the challenge, give away a bunch of lights and other stuff, um, do cool stuff all throughout the grow. We're still organizing our side challenge and other things. Um, we're going to do it, you know, based on our groups are going to be based on the media that you're growing in. It's going to be the first time that we've done that. We want to sort of make sure everybody knows that everybody is welcome. So um we got different medias um organized that way and we're gonna do fun kind of stuff you know our, our challenges aren't really competitions they're ways to learn and and ways to just grow together so come over to cook over cannabis forward sauce challenge sign up for that i got a cool video out this week too i'm planning to do the premiere on tuesday uh this is a review of the photon tech sq 300 watt pro um, but it's cool because I'm diving into the science of far red light, Bugby and the other researchers I mentioned earlier, done some really interesting new research with uh, lasers and new LED technology that allows them to more specifically look at, at specific wavelengths and their 
impact on photosynthesis. And so um, we'll look into that sort of new science that's potentially redefining PAR. Um, that's on Tuesday. And I'll be giving away the Photon Tech Light during the premiere of that video. So hope you guys can share me there. That was a lot. So I'll get the hell out of here. Grow or love, everyone. Have a wonderful week and enjoy your gardens. Thank you so much, Doc. And uh, definitely, I think the challenges are more of like a grow, a grow along and it's a lot of great community building and giveaways and awesome things like that. I think somebody in the chat mentioned it might have been Cheddar Bob earlier, but somebody said you should reach out to Bruce Bugby. So uh, maybe I will. I'm going to maybe figure out if I could email or DM him and, and try and get him to come on the show and, and talk about some of the stuff that Doc will be talking about on Tuesday. So uh, look forward to that video coming out and there's a giveaway. So it might be worth uh, showing up to check it out for the premiere. And last and certainly not least, Matthew Gates. Yeah, this flew by um, for me, uh, very surprisingly. Uh, but I guess that's because I've been talking all day. Um, I almost actually had another uh, live stream event today uh, with my friend, uh, David Stokes. We were gonna talk about tea and, and, and such things as we're just friends and uh, he's very big into tea. But uh, if you're interested in plant health uh, information, you can find me on a bunch of different places, but most primarily zenthanol.com. Uh, you can also find me on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, as well as my Instagram at SyncAngel. And uh, uh, I really look forward to more of these. Um, I'm continually uh, <laughs> surprised that we've been going on for so long. And uh, I love that we continue to meet week to week. So shout out to the chat, shout out to the panel. And I uh, look forward to our mutual success. Always a great way to send it off. And I totally agree. It's uh, great to be here for as long as we have been. It's great to have the chat and the panel members that continue to show up week after week. Uh, even though we didn't talk to the chat and engage it with them as much this week, I think we we're all very um, engaged with the topic, which is a great feeling. I think we all, time flies when you're having fun is the old adage I've always heard. And I definitely felt like that tonight. And genuinely feel that way many, many times when I come together with all of you. This is a great learning experience for me and a wonderful opportunity. Uh, if you want to find more from me, I'm at Jack Greenstock, like you can see behind me on my little logo on Instagram, um, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter, Jack Greenstock 47 at gmail.com if you want to email me. And then if you want to copy of my book, 50 strains green, go to 50 strains.com. But uh, mainly just want to say thanks to everybody. Um, like the chat, um, Spartan said it earlier, I think, I don't know if it was Spartan or somebody else, it was Aaron, actually. He said, if you wrote a message during the show that you really pertinently feel like you want to have answered uh, from me directly and I didn't get back to you because I didn't see it, I was uh, engaged with the wonderful conversation, please feel free to send me a DM or an email. That's why we give out that contact information. Uh, I've connected with so many people that listen to the show and the community. If and when I have free time, it might not be in one minute or 10 minutes or whatever, maybe within an hour. But if I have a moment to get back to you, I will do my best to try and do so. And I know many other people on the panel feel that way as well. So uh, feel free to reach out. That's one of the things that we really enjoy is connecting with you all in the community and uh, all the new people here. Thank you for joining because we do get new people every week. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining us and hope everybody has a great week. This is Jack Greenstock signing out. Peace out, y'all. Fair love, everyone. Keep growing. <laughs>